Chapter thirteen of part two of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand, part two. Chapter thirteen. Paris, December eighteen twenty one. What I did in the midst of this confusion. My solitary days. Mademoiselle Monet. I arranged the plan of my journey to America with the help of Monsieur de Malesherbes. Bonaparte and myself, obscure sub-lieutenants. The Marquis de la Rouerie. I embark at Saint-Malo. Last sorts on quitting my native land. The year 1790 completed the measures sketched out in the year 1789. The possessions of the church, at first put into the hands of the nation, were confiscated. The civil constitution of the clergy decreed. The nobility abolished. I was not present at the Federation of July 1790. A rather serious indisposition confined me to bed, but I had been much entertained previously by the wheelbarrow scene in the Champ de Mars. Madame de Steele has described it with extraordinary cleverness. I shall always regret not having seen M. Talleyrand repeat the Mass, assisted by the Abbe Louis, as I also regret not having seen him with the sabre at his side giving audience to the ambassador from the Grand Turk. Mirabeau lost his popularity in 1790, his connections with the court were evident. M. Necker resigned his post of minister, and retired. No one had any desire to detain him. Mesdames, the king's aunts, left for Rome, furnished with a passport from the National Assembly. The Duke of Orléans, after his return from England, declared himself the humble and obedient servant of the king. The societies of friends to the constitution, which had multiplied in different parts of France, leagued themselves with the original society in Paris received its ideas and executed its orders public life met a favourable disposition in my character what passed in common attracted me because in a crowd i retained my solitude of soul and had not to struggle with my timidity the saloons too participating in the general movement became a little less repugnant to my mind and i had in spite of myself made some new acquaintances among these was the marquise de villette her husband whose reputation was much calumniated wrote in the journal de paris in conjunction with monsieur the king's brother madame de villette herself still a very charming woman lost a daughter of about sixteen who was yet more charming and in memory of whom the chevalier de parny wrote this stanza worthy of their ontologie au ciel elle a rendu sa vie et doucement s'est endormie son murmurer contre ses lois ainsi le sourire s'efface ainsi meurt son essai de chasse le chant d'un oiseau dans les bois my regiment, quartered at Rouen, preserved its discipline for some time. It was engaged in a conflict with the people at the execution of the comedian Mordier, who suffered under the last exercise of the parliamentary power. Hung one day, he would have been a hero the next, had he lived four and twenty hours longer. But at length insurrection broke out among the soldiers in Navarre. The Marquis de Mortemar emigrated. The officers followed him. I had neither adopted nor rejected the new opinions, as little disposed to attack as to advocate them, I neither wished to emigrate nor to continue my military career. I therefore retired. Being free from all ties in opinion, I had on the one hand rather warm disputes with my brother and President de Rosambeau, on the other discussions not less bitter with Ganguené, La Harpe, and Chamfort. From the days of my earliest youth, my political impartiality had pleased no one. I only attached importance to the questions then mooted in as far as they bore upon general ideas of human liberty and dignity. By this standard I judged them. Personal politics wearied me. My true life was in higher regions. 
the streets of paris crowded as they now were by day and by night no longer permitted the indulgence of my whims i sought solitude in the theatre establishing myself in the depths of a box i allowed my thoughts to wander to the verses of racine the music of sacchini or the dances at the opera i must have intrepidly sat out la barbe bleue and le sabot perdu twenty times running at the theatre on the italian boulevard wearing myself in order to get rid of ennui like an owl in a hole in a wall while the monarchy was crumbling to the ground i heard neither the crash of the secular arches nor the drawling of the vaudeville neither the voice of mirabeau thundering from the tribune nor that of colin singing to babette on the stage qu'il pleuve qu'il vente ou qu'il neige quand la nuit est longue en la brèche Monsieur monet director of the mines and his young daughter were sometimes sent by madame ganguenet to disturb me in my hermit-like solitude mademoiselle monet sat down at the front of the box and i behind her half grumbling half pleased i know not whether she pleased me whether i liked her but i was afraid of her when she was gone i regretted her although rejoicing that she was no longer beside me nevertheless i sometimes gave myself great trouble to go and call for her and walk with her i gave her my arm and even occasionally i think pressed the one which rested on mine one idea now occupied my mind almost entirely that of going to the united states i wanted a useful aim for this journey i therefore proposed to myself as i have mentioned in these memoirs and in several of my works to discover the north-west passage this project was by no means uncongenial to or independent of my poetic nature no one cared for me i was then like bonaparte an insignificant sub-lieutenant utterly without name in the world we both rose from obscurity at the same period i to seek my renown in solitude he his fame among men not having given my heart to any woman my sylph still haunted my imagination i looked forward to the felicity of realizing with her my fantastic wanderings in the forests of the new world through the influence of another aspect of nature my flower of love my nameless phantom of the armorican woods became atala beneath the shades of florida m de malesherbes encouraged the idea of this voyage and increased my desire for it i passed whole mornings with him poring over maps comparing the various charts of the arctic circle calculating the distances from bering straits to the top of hudson's bay reading the different narratives of english dutch french russian swedish and danish travellers and navigators we traced out land routes by which to reach the shores of the polar sea imagined difficulties to be surmounted and precautions to be taken against the rigour of the climate the attacks of wild animals and the want of provisions this illustrious man said to me if i were young i would go with you i would spare myself the sight of the crimes cowardice and folly which meet me here but at my age men must be content to stay and die where they are do not fail to write to me by every opportunity to give me full accounts of your progress and your discoveries i will introduce them to the notice of the ministers it is a great pity that you do not understand botany after such conversations i turned over to Rufault, duhamel bernard de jussieu Gou, jacquin rousseau's dictionary and a variety of elementary floras then ran off to the jardin du roi and already thought myself a linnaeus at length in the month of january seventeen ninety one i seriously made up my mind the chaos of affairs was increasing the very name of aristocrat sufficed to subject any one bearing it to persecution the more moderate and conscientious a man's opinion was the more it was suspected and spied upon i therefore resolved to strike my tent i left my brother and sisters in paris and set out for brittany at fougeres i met with the marquis de la Rouerie, and asked him for a letter to general washington colonel armand the name borne by the marquis in america had distinguished himself in the war of american independence 
in france he made himself known by the part he took in the royalist conspiracy which made some such touching victims in the decile family having lost his life while organizing this conspiracy he was afterwards exhumed and recognized and drew down misfortunes on his hosts and friends rival to lafayette and lausanne and forerunner of la roche jacquelin he was more clever than any of them he had fought oftener than the first carried off opera actresses like the second and would have been companion in arms to the third he was then scouring the woods in brittany accompanied by an american major and with an ape seated on the croup the law students at rennes were fond of him his boldness in action and his freedom of ideas pleased them he had been one of the twelve breton gentlemen imprisoned in the bastille his appearance and manners were elegant his air manly his face intelligent and pleasing he somewhat resembled the portraits of the young noblemen of the league i chose st malo as my port of embarkation in order that i might take leave of my mother in the third book of these memoirs i have spoken of my visit en passant to combourg and of the feelings which there oppressed me at st malo i remained two months busied in preparations for my voyage as i had once before been at the same place for my projected departure for india i made arrangements for my passage with a captain named desjardins he had engaged to convey the abbe nagot head of the seminary at saint sulpice and several of the students under his charge to baltimore these fellow voyagers would have been more congenial to me four years before from a zealous christian as i had then been i had now become an esprit fort or to speak more truly an esprit faible this change in my religious opinions had been produced by reading books on philosophy i truly believe that on one side a religious mind was as it were paralysed that there were truths which could not reach it however superior it might be in any other ways it was this foolish pride which effected the change in my mind in a religious spirit i supposed a deficiency an absence of faculty which in fact exists in a philosophic spirit a limited intelligence imagines it sees everything because it keeps its eyes open a superior intelligence consents to shut its eyes because it sees everything within another and final cause was the ceaseless despair which lay deep in the recesses of my heart a letter of my brother's has fixed the date of my departure in my memory he wrote to my mother from paris announcing the death of mirabeau three days after the arrival of this letter i rejoined the vessel in the roads my luggage had all been previously sent on board the anchor was weighed a solemn moment among sailors the sun was setting when the coasting pilot left us after having safely guided our vessel out of the channel the weather was gloomy the breeze languid and the waves beat heavily upon the rocks at a few cable lengths from the vessel my eyes were fixed on st malo i had just left my mother there in tears i could see the belfries and domes of the churches where i had prayed with lucile the walls the ramparts the forts the towers and the strand where i had passed my childhood with Cheryl and my other playfellows i was deserting my country torn with revolution and at a time when she had lost a man whose place no one could fill i was going far away in equal uncertainty as regarded my country's destiny and my own who would meanwhile be lost to france or to me should i ever again see my country or my family at nightfall a calm obliged us to lie by at the mouth of the roads the lights in the town and in the watch-towers shone forth on the night these lights trembling beneath my paternal roof seemed at once to smile on me and to bid me adieu illuminating the darkness around me and the deep shadow of the water among the rocks I carried with me naught but my youth and my illusions. I quitted a world whose soil I had trodden, and whose stars I had counted, for a world where earth and sky were strangers to me. What was destined to befall me if I attained the aim of my voyage? Wandering by the Hyperborean shores, the years of discord which have crushed so many generations in their thundering course would have passed silently over my head. 
the face of society would have been renewed and i absent probably i should never have had the misfortune to write my name would have remained unknown or would only have been linked with a peaceful celebrity below the standard of fame disdained by envy and left to happiness who knows whether i should ever have recrossed the atlantic whether i might not have fixed my dwelling like a conqueror amidst his conquests among the solitudes i had explored and discovered in risk and peril but no i was destined to return to my country to a change of misery to be entirely different to what i had ever been before this sea in whose lap i was born was now to become the cradle of my second life i was born on it on this my first voyage as on the bosom of my nurse as in the arms of the confidant of my first tears and my first pleasures the ebb of the tide in default of a breeze was gradually carrying us out to sea the lights on shore grew fainter and at last disappeared exhausted with reverie with vague regrets and hopes still more vague i retired to my cabin and lay down in my hammock rocked to the sound of the waves caressing the sides of the vessel the wind rose the unfurled sails till then hanging useless by the mast spread themselves to meet it and when i went on deck next morning we were out of sight of france here my destinies change as byron says again to sea end of chapter thirteen